Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Every episode of the show is about one song, one artist, and I bring in a lot of other things ideally, but I just wanted to get these songs talking to each other across the genres, across the years. The way we lived it is different from the way we remember it now. Episode 421, we'll talk about cover songs, good ones, bad ones, and we'll talk to Rob Harvilla coming up, who does one of my favorite podcasts. It's 60 songs that made the 90s, but now he's on like song 90. It's like when we do 25 Whistles and we just kept going. So we'll talk to Rob Harville in just a little bit. He's got a book coming out. But Eddie and Reed are both in here for this one. What's the best cover? Not maybe your favorite. What's the best cover of all time? It's so good that people may not even realize that it's a cover. Oh, wow. And I can go first. Go ahead. I would say Aretha Franklin Respect. Was that a cover? Otis Redding. Oh, dang. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's definitely an Otis Redding song, and he sings it a bit different, too. And he's like, oh, sweaty, I got the record. Mm-hmm. So it was a live version. And so Aretha Franklin, respect, because I think even I forget sometimes that that's a cover. Oh, man, that just that just brought up another one that I didn't even think of, but it's the Black Crows covering mm-hmm. Otis Redding, too. Hard to handle. That's really good. Same record. So good. Same thing. Another one is... Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you. That's Prince. Because it's a Prince song, but she's the one that made it a hit. Um, I'm going to go with another one. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, All on the Watchtower. Bob Dylan? Uh, Bob Dylan song. How about Drift Away, Uncle Cracker? Give me the beat. Because I think just a newer generation doesn't know that was a Dobie Gray song. Dobie Gray. Yeah, I didn't know that one. See, I mean, here's Reed. Reed's like 12. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here thinking like Wagon Wheel. You know? Okay, but that, that's <laughs> fine because Wagon Wheel. Well, that would be Darius covering. Covering. Yeah. Um, Old Crow Medicine Show. Who wrote, or, I mean, but Bob Nell's version never came out. But it, it wasn't, and it was just a demo. It was, a par- it was, it was a, partial, too. It was a demo, and he was just singing, rock me, mama, like, and he mumbled the rest. How about Hallelujah, when Jeff Buckley did it? Because Leonard Cohen's version was... And still is. I mean, Leonard Cohen's still alive, I think. I don't know. He reminds me of Spock from the TV show Spock. Because he looks like that? I think that's... Or Leonard maybe Nimoy? That's why it is then. <laughs> maybe he doesn't even look like that. Maybe... Th- I never put that together. Say, what, what is it? Leonard Nimoy It's because his Spock. name. Hilarious. Wow. I've always wondered why Hallelujah guy reminded me of Spock. It's because their names are the same. So yeah, Leonard Nimoy. No, no. Leonard, Leonard Cohen. Cohen. He's dead, by the way. Cohen. He is. He just died. 2016. Okay. Spock. That's why I thought he was Spock. He's Leonard. in his version is Hallelujah. Right, real Yeah, with like, with, with like a symphony or something. Mm. But Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. yeah. It's amazing. But then Buckley's is, is way, way, way better. 
it's hard for me to say one's better because one couldn't exist without the other, but I, the Buckley version, I prefer. Obviously, it's derivative of the original. Sure. But I just like the guitar and the, the hollow. You know how you Hallelujah. Ray, do you ever heard this song? Oh, yeah. It's classic. <laughs> do you ever see him live in concert? Never saw him live in concert. Oh, he's coming he's to Nashville next week. With Lil Dicky. <laughs> Lil Dicky, man. man. He, di- he I would died. I see that. He died. Dr- he drowned swimming across the river. In the Mississippi River. Lil Dicky died. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would know about that one. <laughs> I think another one that people know now for the most part, but is I Will Always Love You. I think when Whitney first came back with oh, it, I don't good, think everybody man. knew it was Dolly. Like, that was a great cover. You do a good cover for that one, too. If I... <laughs> Proud Mary. Uh, Proud Mary, Tina Turner, but who did that first? John Fogarty. Oh, wow. Was it Credence or it John was. Fogarty? It was CCR, okay. yeah. And so she did it different and did it awesome. Yeah. But that one was really cool. Oh, oh, gosh. Uh, Janis Joplin. Me and Bobby, Me and McGee. Bobby McGee. And what's crazy about that song, because it's Chris Christopherson. Mm-hmm, he wrote what's, it. What's crazy is she never felt any success from that song. She died before it hit. Yeah, that's tough. That documentary is tough to watch. I, it was really good. It's a good one if you know nothing about her. Well, no, even if you know a little bit about yeah. her, man, you learn a lot of stuff about Janis Joplin. Tough she, life. She went through it. She did. They were mean. She had a tough life. People were mean to her. What was crazy too is I didn't know her and Jerry Garcia were like were a thing. Mm. Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead, like they loved each other. Both they, both dead. Yeah, her story is sad. Like the ultimate ultimate bullied mm. person. Um, so those are all that we like. But this whole article here comes out, and this is cover songs that the original artist hated. Oh wow! When the new artist did them. Because I want to lead with that positive part of it, but then get to the juicy stuff here. So the kinks back in the day had, girl, you, you really, really got, got me now. now. You got me so... Ad- oh, come on. They hated Van Halen's version? They did. How do you hate that? Ray Davies of the kinks said it sounded very middle America, and his brother Dave added, quote, good art isn't always about having the comfiest technique. And the kinks are British? I would imagine. Yeah, punks. <laughs> the Van Halen. I don't really like the Van Halen version. You don't? Uh uh-uh. I like the original. Oh, dude, it's Van so Halen good. sounds too like, I don't know, Middle, Middle America. America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this song I need to hear, but um this is the original is Tom Waits, old fifty-five. And the Eagles did a cover of it, but I don't know that I know this song well. Well my time went so quickly. I went Sounds familiar. Yeah, because it sounds like the Eagles. But I don't. And I even I like Tom Waits a lot. I had a whole couple years where I listened to a lot of Tom Waits. I don't even know that song from him. And if you're like a Tom Waits purist or an Eagles purist, you probably hate us right now. Yeah. I don't know those songs. Um, so here is let's play the Sex Pistols. Here is Anarchy in the UK. Here. Johnny Rotten. That's who it is. Hey, that story is pretty wild, too. I don't know that story. How he died in the hotel. I think that's Sid Vicious. That's Sid Vicious. Okay. Same band. Let me tell you, though. That's the same band, though, right? Yeah, same band. Leonard Nimoy. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I I will tell you, I was watching, like, when I worked news. Sid and um, and Nancy. That's right. Sid and Nancy. Sorry, go ahead. Sid and Nancy. That was, yeah. Sid Vicious in New York. Mm-hmm. You tell me what what is that story? Mike, I'll tell you my story. I'm gonna that. mess it up. I've already messed it up four times. So why don't you just take it from here? Uh, that's all I really remember. Okay, about me too. It. Tragic <laughs> story, like Romeo and Juliet, but yeah. the punk rock version. Tragic story. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what were you saying about the news? Uh no, I was I was at home because I worked night shift, and so I was watching watching Judge Judy and uh, Johnny Rotten was on there getting sued by his roadies. <laughs> Dude, I, I wish I could find that episode again because it was awesome. Wow. His roadies are like, oh, yeah, this guy didn't pay for any of our hotels. Didn't do and we'd check into these hotels, and Johnny would have a mansion up there, and we'd have these two little little hotel rooms, and Johnny's like, I'm the leader of the band. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, it was amazing. Wow. Yeah, Judge Judy, Johnny Rotten. Check it out. After the Sex Pistols disbanded in 78, Sid and Nancy moved to New York City, where Sid could attempt to make a name for himself in the American punk scene. But heroin was very cheap. By this point, Sid and Nancy were desperately sick with addiction and it consumed every aspect of their lives and they died. Yeesh. And Sid was who? Sid, Sid Vicious? Vicious? Bass Mike? player. 
uh, of the sex. And, and the whole thing was she was stabbed and bled to death, and they don't because. But did he stab her? Uh, I think he died of a heroin overdose. But do you think she stabbed herself? I don't know. I don't even like the Sex Pistols. To be honest with you, you do crazy stuff when you're on that heroin stuff. So you hear? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I hear. I don't know. Uh, here's Molly Crew doing Anarchy in the UK. I'd say I can leave both of them. Yeah, me too. Who cares? Uh, now we get to music I like. Here, first of all, is The Who with Behind Blue Eyes. Like I do. And I love you. Do you know who covered it? Yeah, Limp Biscuit. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, too. It is. And I, when it first came out, I was like, this is going to be lame. It's awesome. Because they never really like take it to Biscuit Land. They don't. Like Faith, they take to Biscuit Land. Yeah. Because this is this is full Biscuit. And they even start off in Faith. It's like, dunk, well, I guess it will be nice. Mm-hmm. And it's still like, oh, this is funky. But they never take Behind Blue Eyes to Biscuit Land. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, man, I love this song when it came out. This is a great cover. Oh, man, when it comes to cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess it would be nice <laughs> if I could touch somebody. That's awesome. Uh, let's do uh, Bruce Springsteen. Wait. Bruce Springsteen. Blinded um, by the Light. Oh, yeah. Blinded by the Light. Yeah, that's an old one from Bruce. Yeah. And then who sang the new one? Well, I'm going to tell you, but do you have Bruce, Mike? Yeah, she was blinded by the light. Yes. Manfred's Man's Earth Band did this one that I know. That's the one we all know. Wrapped up like a douche. So I thought I was wrapped up like a douche. Yeah. <laughs> we all did. But I think it's because Bruce sings cut loose like a deuce. So I think it's wrapped up like a deuce, right? Yeah, revved up like a oh, deuce. Oh, that's what it is? Ooh, ooh, revved up. Revved up like a douche. <laughs> no, deuce. <laughs> revved up like a douche, you're right. But Why did an engineer not go, dude? You're going shh at the end of that. Do that again. Well, you you sounds like you're saying douche. You're saying douche, right? <laughs> yes, mine. I am. Say it again. Douche. No, douche. Douche. <laughs> douche. It does sound like douche. How about where the streets have no name? Wait, what? That's U2. Did somebody mm-hmm. cover that? Yeah, so here's the U2 version. Pet Shop Boys kind of did a disco-y type. Oh, come on, guys. This is terrible. Yeah, I've never heard that. I'd be pissed if I was you too. That's terrible. Y'all like Pet Shop Boys? We don't. I don't. I, I like Pet Shop Boys. But what else do they have? They have that song Flamboyant. Flamboyant. Pull up some more Pet Shop Boys. Maybe okay. I just don't know I like them. Convince us, Mike. I don't think y'all will. If y'all don't like that, that's their style. Well, I don't like that style, but maybe I like a couple <laughs> songs, and maybe I don't know I like their style. And that song's not even in here. Let me pull up Pet Shop Boys on my phone. I feel like Pet Shop Boys, though, are the guys that make prank phone calls. Right. Isn't that them? It's not. Wait, who is that? Because I remember I found a CD on the side of the road when I was like in high school, and that what? was... Crank Yankers? No, 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 no. no, no. They did prank calls. Oh, I know West End Girls. West End. This is Pet Shop Boys. You got that one in here. You do have that one? Yeah. Let me fast forward it. I can play it here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. West End Boys in a time around. West End Girls in a time around. What is always on my mind? You were always on no, my mind. No, I don't think it's that one. It could be. It's got 240 million streams. Do you have that on there? Mm-mm. Okay, let me play a little bit of this for my phone. Oh, here it goes. Oh my God, it is that song. Yeah. Are they using Willie there or is that them? No, I don't think that's them. It's always on my mind. I think it's them. Yeah. I don't think it's Willie. That's crazy. I kind of like that version. What about Go West? Go West, young man, haven't you been told? No, that's Toby Keith. <laughs> Don't know that one. It, it might be, though, dude. Who knows? They covered Willie. Let's hear it. Th- 
That sounds like garbage. It's like a play. Yeah. You like that, Mike? I do like that. Yeah, I guess Pet Shop Boys aren't my thing. And then one other one, Weird Al, when he did the parodies of everybody. But like, he did Coolio, he had Gangsters Paradise, but he did Amish Paradise. Hilarious. Reed, you didn't get to experience Weird Al. I loved Weird Al. It was like, but you, you're not old enough to really feel it. No, I probably came a little bit later than what I should have. I mean, it was revolutionary. I know. Now it's just everybody does parodies, but mm-hmm. Weird Al was revolutionary. Have you seen the movie? No, is you, it good? Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter plays Weird Al. I keep meaning to watch that. Is it and good? It's a parody movie of like a music biopic. So he makes fun of the, the format because it's kind of cheesy and does his own like really exaggerated version. Pretty good. Did you ever watch Don't Stop Superstar and whatever with Andy Samberg? Yeah, we it's all watched awesome. it. Kind of like that. It's, uh, that's one of my favorite movies. I never even think about it as one of my favorite movies because it's so funny. Pop star? Yeah, don't pop, stop popping, pop star. Never stop stopping. Stop popping, stop, stop. What were you saying? Oh, oh, the, the Jerky Boys was the, the prank jerky callers. Boys. Just look that up. Yeah, good job. I think the first Weird Al one that I noticed was Riding Nerdy. Yeah, that was a later version of Riding Nerdy. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think gonna, that's when I got got introduced to him. Mm-hmm. Like he had like like a surgeon, like uh-huh. a surgeon. How come you always such a fuzzy young man? Don't want no Captain Crush, don't want no Raisin Bran. What is this? Well, don't you know that other eat it. kids are eat it. Yeah. Just so eat, eat it. it. Yeah. Just eat it. Weird Al was awesome. I bet you all the artists hated him, huh? Probably. He was using classics. They felt like he was making fun of them, not with them. But he would still get their permission, even though he didn't have to. Not always. Coolio didn't give it to him. That was their big beef. I feel like, I thought thought he said he wouldn't put out a song. I I think he did say that. I think there was confusion that if he really got Coolio's permission, but Coolio said he never gave it. And he said, no, we called and got it from the label or whatever. Mm. And I think that's why they kind of got into it. Thing about Weird Al, like I think it's like his parents died in a house fire. Oh, like while after he was famous, or like when he was younger. Mike, did I make that up? That sounds right. I feel like he was in an interview and somebody brought up his parents, and he had to talk about it. I brought that. Oh, that was so me. Sad. I did an interview with him once, and I was like, "So what did your parents whatever?" And, he's, and I didn't know until after the interview they were like, "His parents died in a house fire." You interviewed Weird Al, uh-huh. and then you asked him that. Well, I was just talking about his, like, what does his parents think about him doing the music, like being, because it was so different. Let me see this. Wow. Weird Al. Good job, Bones. Par- no, accidental <laughs> carbon monoxide poisoning is what I see. Really? So Ooh. it was in a house, but it was carbon monoxide poison. Yeah, that's what I see. They passed away in their home. They started a fire in the fireplace with the flu closed, mm. and they wow, they died. Wow, yeah, wow, 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 that's wow. it. Bones, you just started a fire with the flume closed. Flu. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's that's scary. Mm-hmm. You don't even know it. It's like uh, Payne Stewart in the plane. Like, they didn't even know it. They just died. I know. That's sad. That he played a concert that same night. Did he know? Yeah. He said he, he, st- he played a concert later that night and started it by saying, since my music has helped so many of my fans through tough times, maybe it'll work for me as well. Mm. Did the show. You see Pete Davidson's, I get those two confused sometimes, Pete Davidson's intro into SNL this last week? No. Was it the Barbie one? Or was it? No, the intro was him going, because all this stuff is happening, uh, Israel, Palestine. And so he's like, hey, look, there's a lot of stuff happening right now. And I know you're like, why is Pete Davidson talking before SNL? And he's like, because I, I, my dad died in a terrorist attack. Because his dad died 9-11. And so he's like, the only thing that, ever made me kind of feel normal was my mom accidentally bought me this tape that was an Eddie Murphy comedy tape. She thought it was something else. And it was the first time I laughed in forever. He was like, so that's why I'm here to start the show is because sometimes I feel like laughter is the best thing you can do when times are hard. Mm. Dang. His, his dad died in 9-11. Do, does they talk about that in Staten Island? The King of Staten Island? Is that, is that his movie? Yeah, I don't know if I watched that. Oh. Yeah, that's not that good. Okay. He hasn't really had success in movies yet. They always put him in the same role playing himself. Pete Davidson? Yeah. Even commercials like the Taco Bell commercial. Do you get those two mixed up? Pete Davidson and Andy Sandberg? They're similar. They're just tall, funny, white guys. Goofy. Goofy, yeah. I like both of them. But Andy Sandberg's a lot older, huh? Yeah, he's probably like 10 years older now, maybe. Just in, in, yeah, yeah, they're both funny. That never stopped pop, popping, stopping. That's a heck. I love that movie. I've man. never seen that one. Pop Star? You never watched Pop no. Star? We all watched it and reviewed it on the podcast. You've seen it, Eddie. I don't think I saw it. It's a spoof of those documentaries, but it's also like the Bieber, a spoof of like the Bieber. 
he's in a boy band, but he goes by himself. Well, maybe I did see that. God, one. it's so good. It's so funny. All right, that's it. We'll do this, and we will come back in a second, and we'll talk with one of my favorite guys who does this podcast called 60 Songs That Made the 90s. All right, hold on. Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacovas is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tecovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Amy Brown here to talk about the incredible work that's being done by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and to ask you today to join me in becoming a partner in hope. When you make a donation to St. Jude, you're helping an organization that has helped push the overall childhood cancer survivor rate from 20% to more than 80%. And I can tell you from personal experience, that number and the hope that it brings is invaluable. Families do not have to worry about a thing. Treatment is covered, travel, housing, food. And when you're a family that's going through this, like, imagine, you're a parent, your kid gets cancer. You need to focus on that child. You don't need to be worrying about other things. And financial stuff can get really stressful. St. Jude covers it. Your support means families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment. And when you sign up for just $19 a month, you're going to get the new This Shirt Saves Lives tee. So join me in helping St. Jude in the fight against childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope and text Bobby to 785-833. That's B-O-B-B-Y to 785-833. And we're back on the Bobbycast. Rob, how are you, buddy? I am excellent. It's great to see you again. Yeah, you too. Thanks and for I, having me on. I'll say that I'm ba- I'm super pumped that you're back. Like, this is one of yeah. my favorite podcasts. And I don't... I'm not sure... How I was exposed to it. I've listened to every single episode. I think I saw the ringer maybe retweet you and it was like, hey, I'm doing this podcast about songs in the 90s and you had done maybe eight or nine episodes. And I know you and I have have spoken. I've guessed it on the show when Weezer was the uh, Weezer. Yeah. Say it ain't so. So it was was funny how I forget what it was. was Any Weezer song works really. Yeah. And you know what you do that's so great is that. It doesn't really matter the song because that's not what it's about. It is, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The for example, I learned so much from the Chumbawamba episode because for those that <laughs> don't remember, they had really one song, the song that goes, "I get knocked down and I get up again." I had no idea they were basically anarchists, and the, they were the whole story of that band. So when you're doing a story on Chumbawamba, did you already know what did you learn about them that was new? 
Chumbawamba was somebody I didn't they, I didn't have a lot of experience with them. I knew that they were anarchists vaguely. I knew that they had like a a daunting back catalog prior to tub thumping, but I didn't know how daunting exactly. It's like twelve records or something. Like it was that was a lot of Chumbawamba that I packed into a, a, a week. You know, Chumbawamba week was a really intense week for me sometimes i know like a ton something like nine inch nails like the downward spiral i listened to that album like six thousand times when i was in high school i never need to hear that album again because it's just playing in my head on a loop in the backgrounds regardless like i can i can recreate every single second of that record chumbawamba i had way less experience with and that was a lot to deal with but it's also rewarding you know, to, to learn, you know, the backstories of just these, these they feel to us like random one hit wonders. It feels like they drop down to earth out of nowhere, but they have this long, thorny, bizarre history, prehistory before they become famous. And that's gratifying to sort of delve into that. That to me is what was amazing about Chumbawamba. I thought maybe Simon Cowell put them together in the 90s and they had a song <laughs> and they went away. But listening yeah. to you talk about them, and by the way, how would you describe their, we say anarchists, and I don't think I would even, mm-hmm. I know what anarchy is, but musically, what do you think they stood for as anarchists? They really did walk the walk. You know, I the first record they put out was, some, it was called something like Pictures of Starving Children Sell Records, and it was like an anti-Live Age screed, right? 1985 Live Age, you know, it raises a lot of money for, for Africa, but but they they just found it pompous and self-serving and they were sort of taking the piss out of rock stars, you know, it's just, it's just swooping in to save, you know, other countries, you know, just the pompousness of that, you know, since the mid 80s, they'd been at it and they, they lived in squats, you know, in the UK, you know, like they, they lived collectively you know, and they put out records on their own. But as the, you know, as their discography grinds on, they become poppier and poppier and they become more invested in this idea of like raging against the machine from inside the machine, right? They decide that they want to make a pop song so insidious that it gets played on the radio, that they become pop stars, but then, you know, they can spread their anarchist ideology, you know, to the masses. And that kind of works with tub thumping and it kind of doesn't work. Because they got so popular, that song was so popular, they got a record deal. A lot of people were looking at them like, hey, you guys sold out and got a record Mm -hmm. deal. But they were like, no, 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 we sold in, like we tricked them. So Mm -hmm. my final question about Chumbawamba, because I was just so enthralled by this whole episode, is that... (laughs) What do you feel like they were up to? Do you feel like they finally were like, man, we sure just could use some money? That's got to be part of it. You know, they're not saints. You know, nobody's intentions are totally pure. But I do think that looking into it, like they they believed it. Right. You know, and and, and so a member of Chumbawamba, I think it's Alice Nutter, goes on Bill Maher, you know, his talk show at the time. And it's like, you should steal our record, you know, and everybody gets mad at her. But I, I do think... It's always a little suspect, you know, when people decide they want to be pop stars, but they want to be pop stars for the right reasons. You know, they're doing it subversively, you know, and the money is just a bonus. But really, I'm just trying to do this and this like they're lying to some extent. They do enjoy the attention, the fame and the money to an extent. But I do believe that there was a purity to Chumbawamba that transcends. And that's what makes it sort of funny and discordant that like that song is now a jock jam, right? You're going to hear that song at every sporting event you attend for the rest of your life. It's a drinking song. It's explicitly a drinking song, but just the difference between where they came from and where they ended up, the dissonance of that is a little hard to wrap your head around, but it's fascinating to me. At the most capitalist event where they sell beers for $14, you'll hear Chumbawamba, (laughs) the group of anarchists, Singing. So that episode, uh, a little bit of, of your history, you've written for a lot of different things. When you finish college, like what is your first paid job? Where do they pay you first to write? They pay me first to write at the other paper in Columbus, Ohio. I got started in alternative weeklies, right? Weekly newspapers, you know, sold for free, not sold, uh, just free on corner boxes or on top of the cigarette machines in concert venues. Right. And the difference between an alternative weekly and like the regular newspaper is you can swear in a weekly. And that's very important. That was very dear to my heart at the time. But I worked at one in Columbus, Ohio. I grew up mostly in Ohio. 
I worked at a weekly in Oakland, California. I was at the, it was in New York City for a while. I worked for the Village Voice for a while. And some of those papers still exist that most of them don't. You know, there are still some weeklies, but not many. You know, the internet sort of decimated them, Craigslist, et cetera. And so it's weird. Like my path technically still exists, but it is far less robust than it was when I was coming up, you know, and I don't know if there's any guarantee it'll still exist even five, 10 years from now, but I remember it fondly. Was it always music? It was from the very beginning, you know, I, from sitting in my orthodontist's office, getting my braces on, you know, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. He had back issues of Rolling Stone in his office, and I would just sit there and read them in his waiting room. And that's what I wanted to do. I went to school for magazine journalism, told anyone would listen, I'd want to, I wanted to write for Rolling Stone. I wanted to write about music, you know, and I got one out of two, which is great. I think that I think I did okay. You had an episode on Natalie and Brulia torn. Yeah. Had no idea. <laughs> The story, yeah, the story of of that song. So that torn, that the song in general. And I want, I just want to do a quick version of this. It's hard to do because it was so good. And I encourage you guys to go look up uh, sixty songs that explain the nineties. Listen to the Chumbawamba. Listen to the Natalie Imbruglia. It's kind of like when I tell people to start Black Mirror. I'm like, go to White Bear first, even though it's like episode. Like, go to White Bear, and if that's your jam, you're gonna love it all. I feel like those are the two. If you listen to those and you love them. All right. So give us the quick version of Torn in, 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 in your best way, Rob. Wow. Okay. So two. Holy moly. <laughs> it was just in so many languages, too. I had no idea this song was saying in so many right. languages and was a hit by so many people. It was a hit by so many. Yes. It's Abandoned L.A., Two people in a band in L.A. wrote it with a dude who had been in The Cure. He was a bass player for The Cure for a little while. They write this song. They demo it. But it ends up, first it was Denmark. Yeah. It's been so long. No, I'm telling you, it was a European language. I didn't even know what it was. Right. And then Natalie Imbruglia is this, like she's a model. She's a singer. And it's her only hit ever as well. But the song is- a soap opera star in Australia. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the third or fourth version of the song. There was a a Danish version, you know, and then the LA band itself cut it. And that version is great, you know, and then somebody else. Yeah. It's three or four people got to Torn before she did, but she found something in Torn that had never been there before. And she somehow turned it into this massive pop hit. And that's sort of fascinating when it takes a few times. You know, there's a version of Achy Breaky Heart before the Billy Ray Cyrus version that didn't do anything. You know, and Billy Ray's version is superior, but it's not like that superior, right? I'm always fascinated by this idea that it takes several iterations of a song and several different people singing a song before it becomes a hit. And like, why is this version the definitive, you know, millions, billions of plays version. Did you ever write an article or a critique and actually get a call or a message from the artist you wrote the critique about and it wasn't positive? I wrote, excuse me, I wrote like 6,000 words about Summer Girls by LFO. This predates the podcast by a couple years but I, you know, there's a, that's a weird history and there's a lot of tragedy there. A couple members of that band have, have passed away. And I think I talked to one surviving member of LFO and he was displeased, you know, with what came out. I think because I, I, I don't want to look down on these songs ever, you know, even the achy, breaky hearts, you know, even the Macarenas of the world. Like I, I love them and I try and find the good in them, even if. People are sick of them. I think the problem with these songs most often is that they've been overplayed so much that people are sick of them. It's not that the song is bad. It's that the song has just been worn out by overuse. And that's not necessarily the case with Summer Girls. But like I just I tried to write a playful article, you know, that got into the Abercrombie and Fitch of it all, you know, and the and the white rapper of it all, etc. Like that. It's just such a silly song. And the verses of this song are just so bizarre and so not they're just a bunch of non sequiturs. And I I it's always a drag when I get feedback like that. And thankfully it hasn't happened often, but it did happen in this case, you know, where he just he wasn't happy. He felt it was disrespectful, you know. And of course that's his legacy, that's his song. And I completely understand that. 
you know, and I was raised, born, raised in the Midwest. And I feel bad when that happens, truly, because I'm not trying to disrespect or look down on these songs ever. Like I'm trying to have fun with it, but I'm trying to be, I'm trying to honor, you know, the greatness of the song and, and in its place in history. What about the opposite way? You ever written one, a glowing review and you got an appreciation note? The weirdest thing that's happened to me in the podcast so far is that Courtney Love reached out to me. Great interview. I, like I did a great interview. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, it's I, I don't know if interview even describes what happened there. You know, you you just let Courtney Love cook, right? Like I'm there and I'm sort of talking to her and she's talking to me. But yeah, you don't want to hear from me when it's me and Courtney Love talking. You just want her to talk. And that's what happened there. And that was great. But yeah, I did an episode on Hole, right? I did an episode on Doll Parts. You know, and somebody passed that to her and she reached out and, you know, and we talked a little bit and I asked her if she wanted to be on the show and I didn't hear anything for a while. But then suddenly she's asking if she can do the Smells Like Teen Spirit episode, the Nirvana episode. And not in a billion years would I have asked her ever to do that. Right. It's it's so personal. You know, it's such an anguished history, ultimately, that I never would have asked her to revisit that, you know, even playfully. But but she wanted to talk about it. And we talked for like an hour and a half you know, on mic about it. And and that's for sure the wildest experience I've had, you know, with somebody I've talked about reaching out to me. And I always try and remember when I'm talking about somebody that they are a real person, you know, and as abstracted as these people were to me when I was a teenager, Billy Corgan, Trent Reznor, you know, Weezer, whoever, like they were gods to me, you know, and they didn't seem like real people to me, but they are you know, and it is theoretically possible that they could reach out, you know, and tap my shoulder. And I always want to be mindful of that. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your next stop before attending your next concert. Tacova's has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring. You're talking about men's boots, women's boots, um, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition, timeless style, always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort, little to no break-in period. Like it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like the smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How did the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as the Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash, alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me, 
in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. This is the Bobby Cast. This idea, and by the way, you're way over 60 songs now. For those asking, they're like, what? How do you pick 60? Well, now he's at like nine. I don't even know what number you're on, but you kept going, which I thought was brilliant. I loved it. Uh, first of all, <laughs> how did it, how did you start this? Where did the idea come from and why 60? And then was there a meeting where it's like, all right, should we do more? Can we afford more? <laughs> like what happened there? This was a, it was, this was in 2020. This was a COVID era project, you know, and it's not like COVID comes up a lot, but I do think that that's important, right? Like in the summer of 2020, we're like, I want to do a podcast. I want to do a podcast that's based on songs. You know, what's a good orienting principle there? The 90s just sort of leaped out at us. You know, it's like a distinct, you know, when you say the 90s, people have a picture in their heads of what that was, whether they lived through it or not. And I was really interested in, in interrogating the, the, dis, the dissonance between the 90s as I lived through them and the 90s as people understand them now. You know, the myth of the 90s versus the reality as I remember it. And so I, 90 songs that explain the 90s would have made a lot more sense, but that seemed like too many songs to me in the moment. And I wasn't sure if the show was going to work. And I didn't want to be the guy with a show called 90 songs that explain the 90s. And then I get canceled after like the fourth episode, <laughs> right? Like that would be very embarrassing. 60 songs, also a lot of songs, you know, but like we like, like 30 songs, that's too few songs. Like we just arbitrarily decided on 60. And when we got to around 40 or 45 and I'm looking at this spreadsheet we've created of all the songs that we could do. I'm like, oh, no, look at all these songs we want to do. We have 15 more spots. And that's when I have to go to my editors and be like, can we please do more songs? And they say yes. And I do 90. And then we get to, you know, 70, 75 songs. And I'm like, oh, no, there's still too many. So like, and I have to go back again and say, can we do 120? It's like, this is it. And I'm like, OK. And then that's, you know, and we kept jumping up by 30 when we realized that we still, you know, there's so many stories I want to tell and so many songs I want to revisit, you know, and it just it just kept building and building. This is going to be it, though. 120 songs. You know, you don't want to go too far. I don't want to start doing like super obscure and sort of I'm reaching, you know, for something to talk about. But I 120 songs comfortably is, is what, you know, this format can support. And I'm still having a blast. You know, I think I'm working right now on it's either 106 or 107, you know, and I still feel as fresh as I did when we started. I'm thinking about doing the series, every song ever recorded in the nineties where I do every song go. ever recorded. And I go to studio and I talk about it and break it down really to overtake you as the most. You better start now. Yeah. Pal, it's kind of the goal. <laughs> that's your plan. Yeah. Hey, uh, my wife is convinced that Dave Grohl murdered Kurt Cobain and not because she knows it's because TikTok has these conspiracy theories about artists from the nineties. And I, we went and yeah. watched Foo Fighters a few weeks ago and they're for her a little aggressive. She enjoyed fallout boy way more than she did Foo Fighters, but she's like, that's okay. the guy who, that's the guy who killed Kurt Cobain. And I'm like, that's not true, yeah. but I've never heard that one. Oh, get yeah. on TikTok. It's a whole, it's a whole lane there of, of why wow. Dave girl wanted him dead because he wanted to be the star, which is totally false, totally inaccurate. But of course that, that, the, the Nirvana relationship between those three guys, but also mm. there was kind of a fourth member, but also there were like six drummers. So, but we just really remember those three. Is that because that's when the never, even before Pat Smear, is that, is right, it just right. because the Nevermind album, that's the three because they, that that's the album? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to refute the idea that the 90s start with Smells Like Teen Spirit, right? The, the 90s start, you know, in 1991 when that song comes out and blows up and totally changes MTV and totally changes rock radio. And that it sort of sets the template for the 90s. And those are the three guys at that point. You know, the prehistory of Nirvana. Yeah, there's another drummer. There's a second guitarist for a while. You know, Dave Grohl's not on Bleach, their first record. But I, that's the definitive lineup of nirvana and pat smear you know coming from the germs has got a ton of cred everybody loves him you know and to have him up on stage in the latter period of the band to have him just standing next to kurt cobain that passing of the torch is very important but no definitively nirvana is those three guys it's dave christ and kurt of course and i think that's always the way it works you know you you remember 
you remember the band from the first, you know, the first song you ever heard from them. The first album that you hear is usually the one you love the most. And the first lineup, too, like it just sets in your head like this is this is what Nirvana is. And I think that's true for the world at large at this point. Who's your favorite band of all time? Wow. Who's my favorite band of all time? Or artist. The answer to that. Or they artist. They might be Giants. Oh, I love that's a really good episode. Really good. Really. Thank you. And you know, it's Thank funny you. how I, cause I was introduced to them different than you were and you referenced this in the episode. Um, I was introduced to them from tiny tunes. Of course. Of course. Istanbul, Constantinople. Yeah. Or, um, <laughs> yeah. the wrestling one, you know, where it's like triangle man, Part, particle, yeah, particle man. man, particle man. That's how I found they might be giants. And mm-hmm. how, so if they're your favorite of all time, what about them? Where did you discover them? My cool uncle Nick first played Particle Man for me. I, I heard about them a little bit before Tiny Toon Adventures, but not very, not very long before. I was like 12 years old when that record, when Flood came out, you know, and I was like a weird kid, you know, I was what you would call a nerd, I guess, in 1990, you know, and I sort of grew up on like what, like Pee Wee Herman, you know, like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, Looney Tunes. You know, this whole this whole like weird Al Yankovic, of course, you know, like this very playful and silly aesthetic. And I just they spoke to me immediately. They might be giants as like playful and silly, but also like hugely accomplished, you know, and just so prolific and so great at what they did and so comfortable in themselves. I think when you're 12 years old and you see people who are doing what they want to do and being who they want to be and not really caring how they're perceived by the outside world. Like this isn't Nirvana, right? These guys aren't, you know, tough, burly rock guys, you know, they're, they're not afraid to be silly. They're not afraid to be playful. They're not afraid to be irreverent, you know, and that really spoke to me when I was 12 and now I've grown up with them, right? They went through a period where they had, they made kids albums when they had kids themselves. And then I'd play those albums to my kids. You know, it's just, I've seen them probably 12 to 15 times in my life. It's just been the most rewarding musical relationship, you know, of my life in that I'm sort of growing up parallel to them. And I, I love th- that. I think that's why I love the presidents of the oh, United yeah. States of America. Like love the presidents, l- listen to every, all the records. And then also even bare naked ladies early mm-hmm. and they still, sure, they still sure. do some of that now. Those were kind of the same reasons that I love those guys. Cause it was a great music, yeah. obviously, but it was also fun and goofy and kitschy. Um, and so how do you do a book on this? Because the book is out November 14th. You can pre-order now. You can get a signed book plate still yeah. as of we're recording this right now, but how, what's, what in the heck is the book? Like what's in it? What I love about the book, you know, it's based on the scripts that I record for the episodes. Like I write these episodes out, you know, down to the word And so I have a lot of source material. And what I wanted to do with the book is get these songs interacting with each other, right? You think about the idea of sellouts, so prevalent in the 90s, right? You know, this idea of signing to a major label or being on MTV or playing on Saturday Night Live, like you were selling out, like Green Day is accused of selling out, et cetera. But that idea can also apply to rappers, you know, like Ice Cube or Dr. Dre or Coolio suddenly getting famous, like in suburban middle America. Suddenly they have this huge pop audience of white kids who have no experience, you know, with living in South Central LA. And that's those, those rappers really worried about their audience, about the idea of selling out and going pop. And so I wanted to get these songs and these ideas sort of bouncing off each other. And some of it's personal, you know, I can put Celine Dion and Hole right next to each other for personal reasons, just the way that I heard them in high school, just the way that my friends brought me this music. You know, there's a personal element to the book that's supposed to just get you, the reader, thinking about your own personal relationships and these weird confluences you have of different artists and genres, you know, but it's it's as much about, you know, every episode of the show is about one song, one artist. And I bring in a lot of other things, ideally, but I just wanted to get these songs talking to each other across the genres, across the years, you know, across my personal experiences and, and across, you know, just the sociopolitical notion of the 90s and the way the way we lived it is different from the way we remember it now. I read um, that book, The 90s. From Chuck Klosterman, Chuck Klosterman, who I've read almost everything he's ever written. I love Chuck Klosterman. Like, uh, like Bill too. Simmons and Chuck Klosterman to me are culture people who, mm-hmm. who kind yeah. of talk for me. 
Right. You know, and they right. say things often that I'm like, dang, I felt that. I wish I could have said that, you know, um, but relatable. Yeah. It's so I guess us being, you know, big 90s kids, it all obviously hits a little yeah. different anyway. But so here's the deal. 60 songs that explain the 90s. Are there pictures in the book, though? There are there are illustrations. There are awesome illustrations okay. by an illustrator named Tara Jacoby. I'm so excited about them. I need yeah, them. That's one of my favorite parts of the book. Okay, yeah. I need them. I need them. Uh, you guys go follow Rob on Instagram, <laughs> Rob Harvilla. Also, every Wednesday on Spotify, new episodes of 60 songs that explain the 90s. And we had an announcement today he's doing 10,000 episodes. So this is crazy. We love it. <laughs> We're very excited. Uh, just 5,000. Just uh, Let's hold, slow, slow down. 5,000 will be plenty. Thank c- you. Though. Congratulations yeah. on the book. You guys go to Rob's Instagram or at Harvilla on Twitter. You can find all the links there. We'll post it as well. But 60 songs that explain the 90s, the book out Tuesday, November 14th. You can pre-order now and get that signed book plate or you can listen to the podcast or do them both like I do. All right, Rob, good to talk to you, buddy. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much, man. It's an honor. All right, there he is. Thanks for listening to a BobbyCast production. This festival and concert season will be all about the boots. And Tacova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacova's boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas dot com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.